Hi, everyone, and welcome to the State of State Schools podcast. I'm your host, John Stamper, Christian author, former homeschooler, and former public school teacher. Once a week, I'll give a quick recap of the most important headlines in education and pull back the curtain on what's really happening in our kids' schools. If you're a teacher, parent, or homeschool family, this podcast is for you. Thanks for listening, and let's get started. Hi, everybody. Welcome to episode number 35. Everything is coming from the week of August 14th. In this episode, I'll discuss the following public education issues, trans athletes in Wisconsin, vouchers, shekels with shackles, parent notification policies, and I'll be using the Indiana House Bill 1608 as an example, the Virginia DOE gender policy, and a mother is fired from her job after speaking at a local school board meeting. Story number one, in Green Bay, Wisconsin, the local school district decided last week that a biological boy, a high school boy, will be allowed to play on the girls' high school volleyball team. That is, as long as he meets those state guidelines. And I know what you might be thinking, well, don't the state guidelines say that only girls can play on the girls' team? Well, the answer is no. They don't say that. As you can imagine, parents in the community are upset about this, and a lot of people will get mad at those parents and say, oh, they're just mad because they're transphobic. Or they'll say that those parents just don't understand. They just don't want their kids to talk about things that make them feel uncomfortable. But this has nothing to do with hating anybody or having uncomfortable conversations. Christians aren't to hate anyone. We're actually supposed to love those who persecute us. But two things can be true at once. I can love the person who disagrees with me, while at the same time, I can stand in opposition to their ungodly beliefs. Now, my favorite verse in the Bible deals with this idea, and it's Romans 5.8. It says, God commended his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Christ knew we were sinners. And he knew that many would never accept him, but he died for them anyway, knowing that he would be rejected. But God is holy, and he cannot accept sin. If he did, then he wouldn't be holy. So not to get too far away from the story, but that's the gist of why I believe what I believe about these cultural issues. So back to those parents being upset. These parents are upset because many are saying that their daughters on the team are coming home with welts and bruises because they're not used to the volleyball being hit so fast and so hard at them. You know, these girls have worked for years and now a boy comes in on the team and just punishes them. You know, parents who attended this school board meeting where this decision was made, they were told that if their daughters were upset about playing with a biological boy, that those girls could see a counselor at school and basically shape up or ship out. The school district issued a statement about this decision saying, quote, The district cares about the well-being of every student. All decisions regarding a student's ability to participate in co-curricular athletics or activities are made in accordance with Title IX law, board policy, and WIAA regulations. That's the Wisconsin Interscholastic Athletic Association, the WIAA. End quote. So, What do the state guidelines say about biological boys playing sports on the girls' team? Well, according to the state's athletic association, the WIAA, quote, 
a male to female transgender student, which is a biological male, must have one calendar year of medically documented testosterone suppression therapy to be eligible to participate on a female team, end quote. Let me say that policy again. This is the state policy. A male student must have one calendar year of medically documented testosterone suppression therapy to be eligible to play with the girls. This may be a perfectly healthy boy, confused about gender, consistently lied to by adults in school, maybe even their parents, and told that they need to commit to suppressing their natural testosterone and subject themselves to irreversible damage. That's what's happening. So real quick, let's name a few of the side effects of testosterone suppression therapy, which is what this state is saying you have to do, boys. And this is according to the American Cancer Society. Here are some of the side effects. Erectile dysfunction or impotence. Shrinkage of the testicles and penis. Osteoporosis, which is the thinning and weakening of bones, which can lead to broken and fractured bones. Anemia, decreased mental sharpness, loss of muscle mass, weight gain, fatigue, increased cholesterol levels, and depression. Does that sound healthy or safe? Of course not. But that's what the state policy says that these teenage boys must subject themselves to for a year at least in order to play on the girls team. And if that's not bad enough, the parents of these kids are most likely pushing their kids into this. Now remember, policy requires at least one year of documented testosterone suppression therapy. That's a major commitment, but hey, don't worry guys. The Green Bay School District says that they care about the well-being of every student. You know, if you're one of these deceived, confused boys being pushed down this road of gender ideology, you're being pushed by every influential adult figure in your life, most likely your peers. You're being pushed into depression, into weight gain, into loss of muscle mass, into a higher risk of breaking and fracturing your bones, into a higher risk of impotence. You know, if we can look at this and still want to send our kids to schools like this, I don't know what else I can tell you. If this isn't a good enough reason to homeschool, then I don't know what is. The state and the school and any parents who go along with this are completely throwing these kids by the wayside, destroying their futures, wrecking their bodies, wrecking their mental health. But hey, at least they have a guideline to follow. At least the district says they you know, care about these kids and their well-being. Baloney. All they're doing is passing the buck to the state policy and saying, hey, we're just following state guidelines. It's not our fault. You know, these school leaders use this as a get out of jail free card. It's shameful. The big takeaway for me is that even if you're a parent that doesn't want this radical and destructive gender ideology in their schools, and even if you have a school board that's conservative and they don't want to go along with these woke policies, you're still at the mercy of the state, at the mercy of the DOE, the State Athletic Association guidelines, like the ones I just read. This is why the argument of, you know, it'll never happen in my school, it'll never happen in my state, those arguments are getting harder and harder to make. To me, public education is like the Titanic. Even if you can control what's taught, use vouchers, pick your school, you're still on the Titanic. What difference does it make?
the whole thing is still sinking. You're just choosing a fancier bed to lie in while it happens. Now, I don't say this to condemn anyone in the public schools. I say this to point out that government schools are under government control. And the government is corrupt. It's anti-God, anti-family, anti-America, anti-common sense. But what's the alternative? What if a family doesn't have the extra money or resources to homeschool? Well, one great solution is the use of Christian education scholarship programs. I learned about these from an organization called Christian Education Initiative. They published a report last year called Vouchers, Shekels with Shackles, and I attached this. And it discusses the potential downfalls of the school choice movement. Chapter 8 of that report discusses these Christian education scholarship programs, and it was written by Max Lyons. Basically, churches can set up scholarships that are privately funded by church members, and Mr. Lyons actually trains churches how to do this for free. So if you're interested in this, um, I added the link to this report uh, in this episode description, so be sure to check that out. Story number two, parent notification policies. I want to talk about these parent notification policies that are being passed in some states and some school boards around the country. It's been big news out in California in recent weeks. So these policies are all nuanced. They're a little different, but typically they say that schools must notify parents within three to five days if their child requests to use a different name or pronoun in school. Now, I've attached the Indiana House Bill 1608 as an example. You can read if you'd like. Since these policies are becoming more common, I just wanted to point out a few things that I've been noticing. First of all, I want to say that I think the people who are speaking up and fighting for the parent notification bills in their schools, in their school districts, I think they're sincerely trying to protect kids from this gender ideology and gender confusion, which is good. And that's right. And I'm the first person in line to say, hey, parents should never be kept in the dark or lied to when it comes to their children. And while parent notification policies are a step in the direction of respecting parents, simply requiring a school to notify a parent doesn't stop anything. So it falls short, in my opinion. Parental notification is not the same thing as parental consent. Yes, the parent will know if their child uses a different name or pronoun at school, and they'll be able to have those discussions with their kid at home, but it still places the child in a tug of war between the school and the parents. Even if you required parental consent, that still falls short because some parents will give consent to the schools. And then once that happens, that school is full speed ahead on pushing this gender ideology on kids. Now nothing can stop them. So think about it. When a parent is notified about this gender issue at school, then there are two possible scenarios that can take place. In scenario number one, the parents agree with the child and they agree to change the child's name and gender and pronouns, etc. Now, in that scenario, every adult in that child's life is now reinforcing a massive lie that this kid is born in the wrong body or they can somehow morph into becoming another gender like some comic book character. But hey, at least the school notified the parents about it. Or there's scenario number two. 
If the parents disagree with the child and they say, no, Tommy, you're not a girl, you're a boy because you have XY chromosomes and male reproductive organs, etc. But every adult in peer at school is still saying, Tommy, you're really a girl. Because remember, this is a notification policy. It's not a consent policy. So school staff doesn't need parent permission. They can still call Tommy a girl, whether that parents like it or not. Because notification policies do not stop the indoctrination from happening. So now Tommy is caught in a tug of war between his parents and his teachers and peers at school. So what has really been accomplished for this child? Is this child better off because of the policy? The only way Tommy benefits, in my opinion, from this policy is if his parents get that notification and they immediately pull him from that public school and decide to homeschool him. That, I think, would be a great solution for Tommy. Parental notification is happening all over the country, even in my home state of Indiana. I read an article recently in the Northwest Indiana Times, my former local paper, and it talked about how this new requirement to notify parents is an extra burden on teachers. And it basically boils down to making a big deal over using nicknames. So this article focuses on two state reps from both sides of the aisle, and it takes the attitude of, what's the big deal, you guys? We don't need this policy. It's just nicknames. Kids use nicknames all the time. So first of all, that's incredibly dishonest. This type of policy is not about nicknames. It's about gender confusion, gender ideology, and transgender indoctrination, which has absolutely turned our country upside down. Also, side note, teachers shouldn't be using nicknames with kids at school anyway. That's not a good idea. For example, when I was teaching, was I supposed to shout at kids, hey, shorty, hey, string bean, hey, big guy? You don't say things like that to little kids because you never know what kind of insecurities they might have or what kind of self-esteem issues they might have. So dismissing these policies by saying it's about nicknames, that's totally dishonest. Finally, most of these bills that restrict gender instruction or sexuality instruction from kindergarten to third grade, almost all of these policies have loopholes in them that say if teachers are asked a question by a student, then that teacher is allowed to directly respond to that question because teachers cannot be restricted from responding to a direct question from a student. So there's a loophole. That's a gray area. You know, some activist teachers can take advantage of that easily. For example, if a kindergarten teacher mentions casually something about their lesbian partner or how they attended a pride event over the weekend, and then one of their five-year-old kindergarten students says, what's a lesbian? What's a pride event? Well, that's a direct question. So the teacher is now entitled to respond even though the state says you can't teach about sexuality until fourth grade. So make all the laws you want. More government involvement is not the answer. So my position is that government involvement in education is not helping, it's hurting. So passing more laws is only further entrenching the government into education. This is a losing battle. These bills usually end up making things worse. You know, they try to help by passing a bill, but the bill or policy is usually so vague that it causes confusion 
and nobody knows how to interpret it or implement it. So it further divides people and causes people to fight and be angry with one another and point fingers. This just shows again how government schools are a failed experiment. And it shows again why homeschooling is a better option. And to reiterate my point at the very beginning, I'm not trying to take away from the moms, the dads, the teachers out there who are fighting for parental rights to protect kids. I'm just trying to wave a flag and say, hey, I think you're fighting to stay on a sinking ship. Story number three, in recent weeks, I've discussed Virginia's Department of Education, how they've updated their model school policies for school boards to implement, particularly the gender policy, which says that students must join teams that are consistent with their sex at birth, as opposed to their gender identity. And that goes for bathrooms and locker rooms as well. So this sounded like a big win for conservatives in the state and for parents who do not want gender confusion being pushed on their kids. Well, Fairfax County Public Schools, which is the largest school district in the state of Virginia, they just announced that they will not be following the state guidelines on gender identity. The school superintendent defended this decision by saying, hey, they're just complying with the state's anti-discrimination laws. The school district stated that they remain, quote, committed to fostering a safe, supportive, welcoming, and inclusive school environment for all students and staff including our transgender and gender expansive students and staff. So let's talk about that whole safe, supportive, welcoming, inclusive thing for a second. Do you all remember what happened in Loudoun County, Virginia, a few years ago? How a high school girl was raped in a school bathroom by a male classmate who said he was really a girl? And this boy was allowed into the girls' facilities because of their gender identity policy? So it was major news. I wrote about this in my book. So did the gender-inclusive policy make that girl safe, supported, welcomed, and included? No, of course not. Allowing males into female spaces does not make girls safer. It makes them less safe. It doesn't make girls feel supported. It makes them feel ignored. It doesn't make them feel welcomed. It makes them feel isolated. And it doesn't make them feel included. It makes them feel excluded. But every time I read about parents standing up for their daughters or girls standing up for themselves, they're almost always told to just go see a counselor and basically deal with it. But the gender confused students get free access to whatever team or facility they feel like. So the big picture here is the state DOE says one thing, but state law seems to say another. So now what? A whole lot of laws and policies that accomplish nothing and help nobody. And that's government schools for you. Story number four, a mother in California was fired from her job in real estate simply for speaking at a local school board meeting. You may have seen this video on YouTube or social media. I was shown this video by a friend and then I read about it in The New American. Janet Robertson lives in Benicia, California and worked for Compass, the giant real estate company. Janet had three kids in the local public schools and like most other parents, she was concerned with the sex ed curriculum that was being taught to her kids. So in April this last spring, Janet spoke at the local school board meeting calmly and politely and expressed her concerns over theories being taught as truth, while truth was being discarded altogether. For example, she said, 
boys cannot turn into girls and girls cannot turn into boys. Boys cannot menstruate and girls cannot impregnate other girls. These things are not real. This doesn't really happen. Yet the school is teaching these things as truth. She also mentioned how the school was breaking the law by teaching young children about oral and anal sex. Well, immediately after Janet spoke her piece at the school board meeting, she was attacked, slandered, discredited, called a daughter of Hitler, and she was doxxed at work. A local group called the Progressive Democrats of Benicia wrote in a public letter that Janet worked for the real estate company Compass and that her statements at the school board meeting were hateful. And it's shocking that her employer would allow her to violate the company's diversity, equity, and inclusion policies. Well, wouldn't you know it, within 10 days of the school board meeting, Janet was fired from her job with Compass. You guys can find the video on this episode's page or just look it up for yourselves. But that's it. That's all it took for this mother of three to lose her job. She simply had an opinion that was based on truth, based in reality, and it's not delusional or woke, and she was persecuted for it. Welcome to the new world, everybody. Of course, if you're homeschooling your kids and giving them a biblical foundation, this stuff probably won't affect you a ton, but it could still be in your town and happening to your friends and family. So now, think about your town and your local schools. If you have kids in the public schools or if you work for the public schools, is there anything stopping this from happening in your schools? What will you do if you find yourself in this mom's position? If your school is teaching something you know to be false and harmful to children, are you willing to risk not just your career, but your reputation, your friends, your role in the community? Now, I hope it never comes to that for you, but if this can happen in one place, it can happen in another. We should know by now that just saying that will never happen in my school, that's not a plan. That's not a strategy. So I encourage you all to pray about it, ask God for guidance, and do that before you do anything else. And that's all I have for you this week. That's the state of state schools. Thanks, everybody.